Hello. Hello. Uh, welcome to Lady Overlander Radio. Tonight we're going to be talking about your public lands. Stay tuned. Grab your favorite drink, whether it's a coffee, cocktail, or tea, and get ready. It's Ladies' Night on Lady Overlander Radio. The Lady Overlander Radio Podcast is sponsored by CB Adventure Supply, Midland Radio, Go Treads, Overland Spices, The More Expo, Wildland Coffee, Adventure Trail Outfitters, Lifesaver Water Filters, Sea Sucker Camp, and Sport Keg. Hey Arla, hey girl, hey. Hey girl, hey. Happy Wednesday. That's all I got. Happy Wednesday. We just got wrap, wrapped up uh, wrapped up more expo last weekend. We got yes. bonfire coming up, rendezvous bonfire this weekend coming up. And then yes. we have uh, Expo West. Professor Bats and Friends after that yeah. to go on their camp out. Oh, yeah. The Professor then Bats expo and West. Friends listener I'm tired already. Out, and then Expo West. Yeah. That's just the beginning right. of the summer. And then we'll get to catch all these people with some of you guys problem. on for, um, for oh. Yeah. All very busy this summer, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a minute here and introduce our roundtable panel. We have Rob. Go ahead and say a little bit about yourself, Rob. Hey, I'm uh, Rob Cook. Um, I don't know what should I say about myself. I always suck at kind of these <laughs> introductions, but uh, <laughs> Uh, professionally speaking, I'm a software architect, uh, but I'm kind of you know, what I'm passionate about is getting out and camping and kind of all things overland and just getting out and enjoying our public land as much as I can. Awesome. Thank you. Alexandra and Jacob. Hi, I am Alexandria. I am the founder of the Idaho Overland Association in Idaho Falls. Yeah, and I get invited to these to keep her company. Uh, <laughs> Good stuff that has going on. So it's it's all for the public land and keeping it open. So we're excited to be a part of it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for being on. Tara? I'm Tara. I think people watch. They've seen this intro a few times. I could make up something really fun, but I'll go with the boring. Um, I am better known as Rove and Reverie online. I do marketing and media professionally in the industry and then have also been doing commercial photography and videography for 17 years. So that kind of all ties into topic tonight. Yes. And Christina. Hi. Um, so I'm Christina. Just like Tara, most people know me as Huntress Off-Road online more than they know me as Christina, but I work in marketing as well and uh, full-time for quite some time, a couple years at least, um, before settling down in the house we're in now. And I'm sitting here with Jonathan of Jonathan Harry Photography, who I think might have a couple of things to say later when it comes to the commercial photography and filming on public lands. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, we're gonna have some great topics tonight. So the first, the first thing we're gonna get started off with is the land closures and other issues that are affecting some of the public lands. And I think we'll start with Southern Utah. Who wants to take that one? 
I know that I know that Christina has voiced her. Wow. Voiced I, have, a lot I would do it. I was waiting for Robbie to do it because he lives in St. George. So. Yeah, I, well, I'm yeah. I'm not and as Rob close to that topic earlier. as you probably probably think I am. I mean, I, I I know about the you know the sound of the Sand Mountain deal going down. I don't know if that's the one you were thinking of. Yeah. But yeah, there's a there's a, a land swap happening with BLM, which has a lot of people kind of upset. Um, I do know about it, and I have voiced my concerns uh, to BLM about that. But um, to say I'm an expert on that topic, definitely not. <laughs> okay, well, I can jump in then. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know. Is, go ahead. <laughs> I'm a huge Trail Hero fan, so I've done Sand Hollow quite a few times. Um, it's become kind of a hotbed for UTVs for off-roaders in general, just because it's a really beautiful area. Um, the Warner Valley is just absolutely stunning. Um, it's got a lot of dispersed camping on it. It's a perfect area for dirt bikes, for OHV, for um, just off-roaders in general. I've taken the Jeep out there quite a few times. There's uh, some really amazing trails all through the back part of um, Sand Hollow, which uh, has incredible views. And unfortunately, they are talking about turning the area that's currently a big dispersed camping area, BLM public land dispersed campsites into a reservoir. So they're planning on flooding that entire camping area, which is super sad. I've camped there many times between the Jeep and the motorhome and just being out near San Hollow and camped in Warner Valley and everything. And so to lose that, I think would be detrimental. And also it's just like one of the kind of closest camping areas down there to like Zion Canyon and all of those really popular places that a lot of overlanders and off-roaders all like to use. Um, it would also lose about, I think a third of the trails in Sand Hollow Park area itself. So the West Rim Trail, which is super popular because it's like one of the more mild trails in Sand Hollow. So pretty much anybody who goes off-road can use it. And the views over Warner Valley from the Western Trail are amazing. And you get to look at the Pine Valley Mountains and it's just a habitat for desert tortoises and all sorts of stuff. Like there's, there's just an amazing amount of like flora and fauna and everything that we would lose access to and trail systems that we would lose access to if, um, if they were allowed to take over that entire property that they're wanting to trade. Wow. And where where does everything stand right now? So there were hearings that happened, I want to say it was like two weeks ago now. Um, I had encouraged a bunch of people to write um, to local politicians in the St. George area, um, in the Hurricane area and everything. I had encouraged them to write to people on, in BLM. I had encouraged them to write to the developer who has developed other areas um, in the past around Hurricane and St. George. Um, it's been about a week since I've looked, so I'm not sure um, where things stand at this point, but that was where it was the last time I looked. Mm, okay. So I also, I know that I think it was last year they passed um, in Utah where you have to, if you're going to be on a side-by-side -side or anything like that, not a normal, regular four-wheel drive vehicle, but any other type of off-road platform, you have to go through training now. Is that correct? Does anybody hear, has anybody heard about that? Are you talking or about, is that, or am I incorrect? 
Uh, so there's the course that you've got to do, and it's any off-road vehicle. The one like most people did it before EJS. Um, so that applied to all of us. Okay. There was one general that applied to all of us, even if you were in a Jeep. It's just any off-road use, and it's really simple. It took me maybe 15 minutes. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I kind of like that they put that in place, even if people aren't really paying attention to what's in it. But it's really just all the basic tread lightly policies and procedures and explanation of making sure that somebody can answer the right question of this is what you do in this scenario on a trail. Um, quite frankly, I'm one of those people that think they should be charging for that because then they have the money to put back into the other public land stuff that they're saying they don't have and all their reasons for the closures. But um, because Moab was going through the same thing of yeah. trail closure potential and things like that. So I'm one of those people that would happily pay a fee to have that, you know, yearly little card or you know whatever they make you go through to be on the trail if that contributed to keeping them open but yeah there's it's applied well, to everybody not, to, not just the utvs and is that something that yeah. people from if we're traveling from idaho to utah that we need to get as well mm -hmm. so that's yeah good. like everybody going in for ejs did it you do it online it takes like i said like maybe 20 minutes okay and it's really just a, okay. like an awareness, like a, you know, basic principle thing. Yeah. And it's one of those where like, it won't let you go to the next answer until you get the answer right. So even if you get it wrong, like. <laughs> kind of guaranteed to pass. <laughs> That's good. There's, there's, there's no failing it and taking it again. It just won't so, so until you get it right. <laughs> I probably need that. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the things that it goes over? Does it go over just uh, what to do in a certain situation or like as far as your. Yeah coming head on with someone trail etiquette things like that or there was everything from basic trail etiquette to what do you do in this scenario if you know the, as far as where you can be and how far off trail etc like you know as far as even basic signage or understanding of what type of vehicle you're in where just kind of all the very basic stuff that's even on the tread lightly site that you can go through that most people don't read but it makes you stop and read it because you have to read it to get to the next question so I'm kind of a fan of it yeah, I think I am too. That sounds like something that needs to happen because I see a lot of, especially in Moab, on Imogene Pass, on the different places that are very, very heavily trafficked. I see a lot of people doing big things groups. that they should not be doing. Yeah, mm -hmm. big groups. So yep. that's another thing that's been happening a lot lately is a lot of people are starting, we're, you know, later we're going to talk about the commercial filming and YouTube and all that, but a lot of people are starting these off-road expedition group companies and they're taking groups of people out and I see people popping those up all the time. 20 vehicles or mm -hmm. more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had a, we had a friend of ours tell us about, you know, being camped at this spot in the middle of the night and 20 vehicles rolled up into their camp and literally came in and asked them if they would leave. And they had been there all day mm -hmm. uh, because they wanted that specific spot. They had planned on it. You know, they wanted to, get there. They never sent anybody ahead to take, you know, hold the spot, but they wanted these people to pack up and move in the middle of the night so that they could come in and take that spot over. Just things like that, you know, that kind of stuff irritates me. Really? And then I ask, you know, I'm going to ask you guys, do you think that we abuse the public lands, overlanders and full-time RVers and things like that? I think the majority of us, I would say, do not. There are certainly some people out there that do. And unfortunately, 
And I spent a lot of time in Utah in 2020 just because I was full-timing then. And um, it was during COVID. So Utah was really one of the only places that was very much open during um, 2020. And I ran into situations, especially in the national forest properties and things like that, where people would just park their campers there for months on end, like totally ignoring the time limits on how long you're supposed to be able to use lands for, what you're supposed to be able to use them for. Like it's not a public garage. <laughs> um, so it was just, it was kind of a bummer to see how many people were going out there just because it was pretty much all they had in 2020 and trashing public lands and treating it, like I said, like their public garage. And it was, uh, there was a lot of abuse that happened and I think it brought the issue to the forefront. And it's not so much those of us, like the people that are on this um, podcast that do those types of things, but people who maybe weren't as educated about public land use and weren't as accustomed to being out there as um, some of us have been. I would definitely agree. We do at least one stewardship project a month around Idaho, and it is so disheartening with the things that we find and see. But I know there's also a great handful of people also. So I don't want to say we abuse the land. It's just a certain group that does. Yeah, there's the rowdy bunches that will always do that. But everybody that we eat and know and go out with always leave it better than we found it. And that's kind of the message that we try to carry and, and promote. I think that's that true. Awesome. I, mean, I, think, I think the circles that we all run in, uh, I think it's a knowledge thing, right? So like if you go out, you know, one or two times a year, yeah, you're going to leave your trash and you're going to burn whatever you can and leave pallets or whatever it is. But I think the more time you spend out there, the more you realize it's, a, it's our resource. And I think at that point, there is a shift where it, it becomes less of a, not even a liability, but less of a thing and more of a pure asset kind of mentality of like, oh, I can come out here anytime. Well, I better take care of it kind of thing. And then especially when you see like the land grab and all that crap happening from the government side, you're like, oh, we actually really better take care of it. So. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Don't, don't to drop somebody off. put a gate on it because they'll, they'll close it off. That's what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, go ahead and elaborate a little bit more on the, what's going on in Idaho, guys. I've got a little bit of a technical issue I'm going to drop off for just a second. But go ahead and tell the audience that's watching what's going on in Idaho right now. Yeah, so it, about was it two months ago, we were contacted by Idaho Department of Parks and Rec. And they said, hey, guys, do you realize what BLM is trying to put in place? They're trying to put in place a travel management plan for our area, which ideally would be great. But this plan, in our opinion, consists of putting up gates. There's no, there's not an actual plan other than let's limit the trails. Let's, they look at a map and say, oh, this particular trail is parallel. It has a redundant trail. It's like, well, actually, if you go out there on that trail, that's a bypass because there's a major boulder that most people can't get around. So from BLM's perspective, they're not seeing that. And we're the ones who are actually on the ground at the trails. And not only does it affect the full-size vehicles, it's affecting equestrian, the bike riders, side-by-sides. It's everybody's trails in this particular area. What else? Well, yeah, in our area, the they've got a few different suggestions for their travel management plan, and it goes from closing nothing to closing almost everything, and then a few in between. 
So they're, they're asking for public comment on what areas people want to see remain open and why. And I think most people would want to see all of it remain open. Um, you know, it's getting busier out there. There's more people that want to use it. And if we aren't using it responsibly, we're all going to lose it. And then the few that they leave left are, are going to be overcrowded because that's all that's left for everybody to flock to. And it just won't work. So we've got to figure out how to how to keep as many open as we can and, and educate people along the way to be responsible so they stay open. I would also say um, one thing that you guys might be able to do to push back against that is, um, and Rob can tell you this and Christina can tell you this, I just came off a job mapping for the BLM. Mm -hmm. um, we basically mapped everything from Yuma to the Gila Bend and then uh, Ajo down to the Mexican border and east, and they don't know what's out there. The BLM, if they're looking at a map that is five to even three years old, they have no idea what trails exist. They don't know. I mean, obviously, they don't know that there's a boulder in the way, but they don't know what cutoffs are there, what trails have been reclaimed by nature because they're not being used. They have no idea. So I would urge them to send out a survey crew and that'll take time because those dudes can only map 20, 30 miles a day, but they need to know what is on their land. And that's what the larger BLM properties are doing. You know, BLM, like that's not a small area from Yuma, Arizona to Gila Bend is, like, Rob, how, how far would you say that is? Like 200, 300 miles east? Easy. Yeah. So you're talking about, and if it's 25 by 200, you're talking about 40,000 square miles that they have no idea what trails are up in those mountains, what mines are there, what hazards are there, what trails have been reclaimed and no longer exist by nature, you know, and, and that's a, that might be a little back pocket ammo for you guys to push back and go, Hey, you don't actually know this, this map is from 1999. <laughs> These maps, you know, like, so mm -hmm. that'll help. I don't know if that'll help you guys, but no, I think it would because Idaho Parks and Rec, they were telling us they're more familiar with the single, single track trails and they have those guys doing those trails constantly all day. Whereas the full size trails, nobody's actually going out in these areas to map them exactly what you said. So that, that's a good point. Yep. And it's... Yeah. And it's just interesting because we are pretty close with Idaho Fish and Game as well, and they are on our side of this. So it's nice to have their support and they're writing in their comments saying, hey, this actually doesn't affect us at all. Or if it does in one particular area, they say, let's make it a seasonal closure instead of a forever closure. So it's been nice working with them also to try to see what's best for wildlife also. Yeah, and I think that, you know, all of the federal agencies that manage those lands have to balance, you know, what's good for the public and what's good for the wildlife and and all of that. But it, it I get upset, I think, when there's closures and there's things that are not maintained. And then, you know, they say, well, we're just not going to reopen that anymore. You know, but it's something that has been neglected for a while, whether for funding or budgetary reasons or, you know, whatever. And then they're either going to sell it off or trade somebody else for it or just close it down. And I know that that's been going on a lot in Arizona. Um, I tried to get somebody from Arizona on, but I, I guess they were otherwise occupied. But, um, you know, there's a very, very popular trail in Arizona that's still shut down and people are petitioning to try to get it reopened. Um, 
you know, I think that there is a lack of, you know, money available, I guess, for that's what they, the government agencies say, there's lack of money which, and resources. Which one so, are you talking about? I live in Arizona. Um, I think it's the one near, um, let me, give me a second to think of the name of it. Uh, Tortilla Flat. There's a oh, well-known okay. trail near Tortilla Flat. I can't remember the name of the trail right now, but I've seen lots of petitions going around and lots of uh, conversations about that over the past year or two. So um, I never got a chance to do it because it was closed by the time I got to Arizona. So. <laughs> yeah. And I know there's a lot of people that are pushing, you know, to try to get that reopened again. Um, but they say that it's, you know, it's just not worth it. I guess. That's, and if for me, if there was an actual plan, let's this area, we're actually going to go out once a year and see how the trails are, maintain them and actually come up with an actual plan. I would be for that, but this isn't a plan in my opinion. Of, and that's what they're trying to call it. I don't see how just yeah. putting a gate on something and closing it is a plan. Uh, that's what they did in Washington. So I'm from Washington and when COVID hit, they basically just gated pretty much everything. We already have everything gated seasonally as it is because the mm -hmm. second snow there, they just shut it down. So our window of time there is usually July through September if we're lucky anyways. Um, but they gated it and then let things closed. Mm -hmm. I would fire every year since then when I would go there or I would even get tracked down on some trails that I didn't even realize were closed because people there got so tired of it that they took the gates down. Um, and then, you know, other people would end up there, you get in trouble. And I would ask, and the answer I get every time is we just do not have enough people or resources to cover maintaining or basically keep a track of activity and hunting activity and all of that kind of stuff out there. Um, so that's always just the answer I get was that it was just not worth it for them or they did not have the resources to reopen things. So there are things, places that used to be my regular spots that I would even take my kids when they were little that have been gated and stayed gated and I think there's a lack of people pushing back to like, cause they're very rural areas for the most part. Um, so there's not maybe enough organized pushback on it that they just kind of get left that way. And then they count on people forgetting. I believe that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the BLM is an incredibly understaffed government agency, but I think that outlines the importance of people like us kind of stepping in to like if this is something we want to maintain if we want to maintain access to all these places then we need to take over stewardship of it as best we mm -hmm. can and uh, not just you know use the land responsibly ourselves but also to promote it absolutely or maybe um, even Tara, go ahead oh so Tara brought up a good point with you would go out and trails technically closed but the gate has been removed People are going to go out there anyway, if they're just going to do it. It's oh, also, even, it's yeah. also interesting to note, uh, I don't know about, I can't speak to other apps, but Onyx is actually adapting to this where you can actually, if you're out on a trail and a gate's closed, you can update the trail status. Yeah. It's nice. direct response to these gates going up and trails being closed. And okay, it's, it's yeah. more than just a, this is snowed in kind of thing. Right. Yep. Yeah, I was doing a trail in Arizona and we, you know, turned from one trail into another and it was a hundred and something miles and we got near almost to the end. And that's when it was gated off. 
there's boulders and a gate <laughs> i'm gonna have to be bad this time because it was literally like almost the end if there was another sign saying it was closed somewhere else we completely missed it, right. it no but it didn't look close on gaia so we got almost to the end and we had to go around the gate just to get back on the highway. So we, we encountered that two days ago going yeah. out on a camping trip and they dropped the route. And I was like, Hey, I was out there mapping two days ago. There's a gate there. And they're yeah. like, really? Are you sure? And I was like, Oh, I'm oh yeah. Sure. Just that much. Trust me when I tell you. Well, in Arizona, it's pretty difficult out here. So. <laughs> I, last summer where coming down at the very end of a trail, boulders and logs and I have a Jeep. There was no sign. So, you know, I just went over it. <laughs> That's yes. funny. There was no sign. There was nothing. And I remember coming back down and running into a park ranger coming out there. And he's like, that was closed. He's like, did you not see the boulders? I'm like, <laughs> I thought it was just for fun. Yeah. I tried that they were put there just for me. <laughs> An obstacle. I'm sorry. Like, you're not moving your traction. I thought you made it to Rain Park. Other thing that I was coming across where like you would find these obviously like bouldered or logs down Washington, they always put logs across them. Again, you can go over it, but there's no sign. So there was a lack of signage, whether that be from people removing it or them just assuming people just would not cross the boulders or the logs. But Jeep people like this is not a problem. Um, so that was the other thing is a total lack of signage everywhere I was. Yeah. So what is, what is the legality with that? I mean, so, you know, if, if there's, if they put boulders and logs across something and there's no sign, I mean, is there legal footing? I pushed that to time that I got stopped because again, there's no sign. And if I can prove there was no sign, they kind of lose their ability to say or do anything because obviously I was not intentionally maliciously somewhere that was signed or marked or actually gated off. Uh, and then you're also on that side of it is still technically public land that is technically marked. Like there's too many gray areas with it right now. And I think that's part of their frustration is their lack of ability to enforce things. And then people that figure out that there's a lack of ability to enforce things um, because it's a big gray area that I think that may also have played into the lack of signage in the spots that I, the more remote areas of like, technically, are they allowed to technically close that in that way? If they're kind of, I never got a straight answer. I just kind of got the whole, well, we said, and, you know, we marked it off because we don't have the people to maintain it, but there was no answer on like, what happens if somebody yeah. That brings up such a good point. And like his conversation about Onyx a second ago. So I'm, Aside from being an off-roader, I'm also a hunter. And so I have both Onyx Off-Road and Onyx Hunt. And one of the interesting things, I think they're calling it like the Onyx like anomaly or something like that, or like the Onyx dilemma or whatever, but like Onyx brought something to light, which is the fact that public land in the West is often interspersed with private land. And it's almost like looking at a checkerboard where you think that you're on public land, but then for a second you're on private land and then you're back on public land. And then for a second you're on private land and you're crossing these boundaries all the time in different areas all over the West. And um, one of the places that I hunt pretty much annually is up in Montana. And there's a massive lawsuit happening in Montana right now 
over the same type of thing where um, a man tried to stay on public land by literally crossing the corner. I heard about that corner of two, like the junction of two boxes on the grid of public land. And literally there was a picture of checkerboard, right? So like, Here's one and here's the other. So they're and he brought a ladder. Yeah. So then he literally was so like in the never, airspace, like not even touching touched, the ground. He was in the airspace from one piece of public land to the other. And he's being sued for literally millions of dollars by the private landowner because he technically trespassed on private land to get to this checkerboard block of public land and shot an elk. And this guy runs like a private game preserve on his private ranch in Montana. So he was like, well, I lost millions of dollars in revenue potentially by losing that one bull elk that you shot. So, and it just like, it brings up such a good point, not necessarily just for hunters, but in OHRVers too, because I, I myself actually got stopped on a road in Montana that I assumed was a public forest road because it went to a public forest property that I hoped to hunt on. And sure enough, like it crisscrossed through private land like two or three times on my way out there. And the rancher came flying up on a UTV and was like, hey, you need to get the hell out of here. And I, I was just so surprised by it. But here I am, like relying on the best versions of a map that I have, you know what I mean, to get me from point A to point B. And I happened to be using Onyx Off-Road at the time and not Onyx Hunt that showed me where the property boundaries were for private and public land. So it was just, uh, it was an interesting situation that I found myself in. But it's become a problem for so many more people, not just me. It's now that Onyx is like so popular and you actually get those property grid maps now, it's become a problem all across the West. Um, the property grid maps are a major thing for me. And I've known that just because of filming and doing commercial work for so long of not the average human being does not even know or think to go look that up. But for me, if I'm filming, I know that I have to find those boundaries to so be able to find those. So like there's the one that secret geothermal cave that I found in Wyoming, you are on private land, ranch land for 95% of the way out there, um, which they can take away your ability to cross that at any time. So like, it's one of those where you play very, very nice and you still get approached by people out there. And like, it's made very clear that you are on private land, um, but it crisscrosses in spots. And I'm one of those people that's very careful to get permission if I know I'm gonna be filming somewhere or taking photos just because that is private property and that is the rule, but to be able to go look that up to get the information of who owns that property or even the most recent information, sometimes that is 10 years old, even when you go look it up online and look for the property records. Um, so having that information be made updated and more available is a huge helpful thing, but it's still very hard to find the information on, especially in the basic math programs. They don't even show you the basics of that most of the time. I will, I will say there's a tricky area that I always, I always stick to fence lines. If there's a road next to a fence line and you stick on that, there's there is a natural easement. That's a I believe that's the law across the West, but I'm probably wrong. But it's one of those like <laughs> we were judging. Well, I mean, how many ranches have roads right along the fence line that yeah. this goes to Joe's and then Pete's and then the Smiths, you know, yeah. and it's like, okay, well, can the Smiths not go home because Joe and Pete own the road? Like, what's the deal? So, if they went so to. I just I just stay on the fence line as long as I can. But also, uh, I will say, 
like if it's a forest road, if it has a forest road number or a road designation, then that's government property. If the yeah. if it's designated FR three hundred four, and then it changes to Smith Valley Road for two miles, and then it goes back to three hundred four. No, the forest forest road put that in the forest department, whoever. That is a government road. And I don't try to be combative, but that's just kind of like a safe zone. And of course, I'll beg, beg forgiveness for anything. But <laughs> like, you know, as far as just getting places, you can't. I mean, I don't know how people can just close a road for like. Look at that. How can you close a road for one grid? Like, what are you gonna um, do? Yeah. Well, the spots that I was heading to are not actually. They are very like top secret, not on a map locations that were part of private ranch that then blm asked to take over that little because what they discovered on the property they asked somehow to get permission just for that like within like literally 100 feet around it and then everything else is still that massive ranch because when you're wyoming montana like the size of these ranches yeah. it's hard to give people an understanding of the size of these properties and the ranches that you're yeah. on. you could be on the same tens of thousands of acres yes uh <laughs> so you could be on it all day and still be on the same ranch um, so I, because of trying to keep people out, they do keep this, at least they're very good there about keeping the signage up of like, this is a private road. You are only allowed with the, you know, in this zone. And if you cross that, like fair game, it's Wyoming. Yeah. Like, that was a great illustration. Whoever pulled that up, I'm not sure. I don't know which that one. That was me. Sorry, our Misty. Okay. Yeah. That yeah, was a great I just wanted to show exactly what we were talking about. Yeah. So, the checkerboard like, stuff. Yeah, and sometimes it looks like it's a public easement. Like he said, like a forest road's pretty typical. I just was looking at a dirt road on a map and hoping that it was, and I got chased right back off. So. <laughs> I, will say, yeah. I will say recently, like I've mapped everything between our ranch and the Grand Canyon through that forest. And I've, like I said, mapping the last three months down in remote, remote desert, like middle of nowhere. And if that thing is closed, there is a sign up. They have someone who's been out there, whether it's on a four wheeler or UTV. So if there's no signs, I, I don't think they have personally, I don't have anything for them because with all the remote places that we've been, I have seen signs where it says trail closed reforestation project or wildlife management project or walk commission. I'm happy to get out of there. But if you can't, you can't just throw a log across something and be like, Hey, <laughs> We're done for the night. <laughs> yeah. Now, and we're, we're noticing, at least in Idaho, a good portion of our lands are half BLM, half Forest Service. So say the BLM opens 1st of April. Well, the other half of the trail doesn't open until May 15th. So go all the way through, then all of a sudden you're breaking the law again. And it's there's no consistency in our area. And it's kind of frustrating when we're trying to figure out where we can go or where we shouldn't go. Washington has that too. And then they also have the tribal land mixed into it. If you're out near the coast, that becomes an even bigger complication. And then it's a totally different set of rules oh, that you yeah. have to. <laughs> I don't even, I barely mess with that. So. <laughs> that's a whole other episode. Like that's a whole, that's like a whole other thing. I've only, I've only camped on the reservation one time and pulled trespass permits one time for that. And it was like, 
it was such a stressful experience, honestly. <laughs> for, me, is the opposite. Like, for me, the tribal land in Washington was like the, if you ask permission and if you treat them respectfully, I was always the best, safest. Like they just ask that you are respectful and ask permission the way you're supposed to. And if you do that, I've never had a problem there. But again, like once you're on that land, you only answer to them and nobody else. I was told like, this chick hates you. Like, don't talk to this person. If you get caught like camping down here by anybody who's like a native from the reservation, like they're going to be so mad that they even see you down here. And I'm like, oh my God, why am I paying for this? Like, I'm so, okay, like maybe do I really want to do this? Like at this time I was like a solo traveling female. So it was uh, not a situation I was a hundred percent certain I wanted to get myself into, but the campsite ended up being amazing. So I'm glad I did, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's just a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> so there's yeah. a lot to worry about. But um, yeah. Well, I think uh, <laughs> oh, speaking another of another situation in oh. Arizona, though, which is uh, on your topic, Alexander and Jacob, um, there's a few trails in Arizona where on one side you have national forest property, but on the other side, it's actually like national park property. So mm -hmm. if you're talking about filming or photography or something like that, you can literally take photos on one side of the trail, like one lane of the trail and not in the other. Like there are, there's a whole stretch where like you can fly your drone as long as it's on the passenger side of your vehicle, but not on the driver's side of your vehicle. And like, it gets really, it gets really interesting when you start paying attention to all those little intricate things like that. Well, that's, that's a good segue for me. Uh, <laughs> we're going to move into the filming discussion on public lands. And uh, really quickly, I'm going to show a current or a recent uh, YouTube video that Rob sent me that shows, you know, some of these other companies concerns about the public lands and filming. Mm-hmm. company founded on the belief that when we do well we can do good and we actively advocate for policies that expand recreational opportunities and support organizations whose missions bring more people outside the outdoors and more specifically our federal lands and waters are for all americans and we believe that more people and kids should experience the wonders of being in the wild this mindset drives our business actions we've invested more than a billion dollars acquiring new outdoor companies the Vista Outdoor Foundation has funded over a dozen organizations focused on conservation and expanding youth access to the outdoors. We are one of the largest contributors to conservation through the Pittman-Robertson Act, with more than $500 million since our founding. Much of our business success, combined with bipartisan outdoor policy wins led by this subcommittee, has contributed to the growth of the outdoor recreation economy. The latest Bureau of Economic Analysis research shows that the outdoor recreation economy represents $862 billion in gross output, 4.5 million jobs, and 1.9% of GDP. From 2020 to 2021, the outdoor recreation economy grew three times faster than the overall U.S. economy as Americans flocked outdoors during the pandemic. This translates to job creation, economic development, diversification for our rural communities, in and around federal lands and waters. Despite outdoor recreation's run of successes, the industry is not immune to the larger macroeconomic conditions. Rampant inflation and rising interest rates are harming consumers who must make the choice to buy groceries or plan an adventure. 
Long-term trends provided by the Outdoor Foundation show declines in core participation outdoor outings. National park visitation shows that even during the post-pandemic boom, overall visitation to our parks remains uh, below 2019 levels and off of 2016 highs. And outdoor recreation companies have been harmed by federal trade policies, including the lapse of the generalized system of preferences and inconsistent 301 tariff policy. The current climate and long-term outlook make today's bipartisan hearing essential, and we urge the subcommittee to move with speed and conviction to enact these bills. More specifically, we support the Film Act. We need to recruit and activate the next generation of outdoor recreation champions, and the Film Act will help us reach and inspire these future leaders and champions that we need. We support the SOAR Act. This legislation fundamentally improves the way people access and experience the outdoors. And we thank the person leaders who have gotten us to this point. We support the Bolt Act. Long distance bike trails are one of the fastest growing segments of gravel riding. And this bill will attract more users to our federal lands. We support the Range Access Act. Recreation. Okay, so Rob, why don't we start talking about the Film Act? What's, what's that about? Sure. So um, I don't know if you want to talk much about the background of it or not, but kind of at a... Yeah, at absolutely. A, yeah. Let's give everybody <laughs> so, a brief little overview of what's going on. Um, well, I, I first found out about this topic probably back in 2021 when I heard, you know, that there was filming that was, you know, that the National Park Service basically updated their guidance and was now allowing filming without a permit. Um, but in 2022, that guidance was updated uh, to where they were kind of taking a hard line against YouTube and those sorts of things. And that kind of ended up being some legislation that's making its way through Congress called the Film Act. It's kind of the high level of that. There's a lot of detail in there, but that's the, the high level of it. Tara, I was kind of curious. I mean, you, you said you do a lot of you know, commercial filming or filming in what kind of your, your experience has been with permitting. And this is, it's been for 17 years, it's changed a lot depending. And a lot of it is primarily the biggest issue I've always run into has either been national park or county. So like those are the most usually controlled or even within some city limits now. Um, and it always comes down to their issue being what they define as commercial use versus personal use. Um, and social media and social media marketing has changed in the last three years rapidly to what is defined as commercial or somebody making money off of it. Because the reality is I hear a lot of people, especially with overlanders and things like that, that are creating content saying, no, this is personal, this isn't commercial, but that's not the case. The second you are making any type of income or getting something in return for it, it does take on a commercial bent. Like any different, like so with when I was doing wedding or personal photography years ago, there was a side to it that if it was for a client and they were the only ones using that personally, there was not a commercial factor involved because that was private. There was no, you know, it was not going into a commercial. It was not being advertised. It was not being used in advertisements. It was only ever seen or used by the clients that I was filming for. Um, but the overland side of things, like this is unpopular opinion on my end, I think from what I get back from people is that they don't like that it's considered commercial, but it is. 
Um, I think that what needs to change is how, whether they do it nationwide or statewide, because that's the bigger problem is every state, every national park, every county, every city can have their own rules and they can add permit on top yeah. of permit. permit I, is that it needs to be one way across the board, whether that be by state or whatever, or by national parks, so that it becomes a more affordable permit because the violation of that can be financially devastating if you get a fine for it. Um, or their fees for it sometimes can range in the ridiculous like ten to $15,000 permit range if you can get one, if you can get a hold of them to get one for something that you're not even making a fraction of that for. So they need a different system that has just not been up to date with what is going on industry-wise and marketing-wise. I've been kind of personally in, you know, immersed in this on the federal level for the last six months, just trying to learn about it and um, but yeah, I've been wondering, like at the state level, like I'm sure there's all sorts of different laws, like you said, the county level, and, <laughs> and the problem it's just, is that, like, just so the every state park has their own rules. So mm-hmm. every time I am in that location, I have to go look up that, and it changes by the year too. So you need to know what's current because I could have looked up a spot two years ago, and they've got different rules now. So if it's a national park, generally they're all pretty much the same, but you still have to go on their site or find their person that you can call and ask permission or figure out what the rules are, especially when it comes to drones. Um, for the most part, I play that real safe and don't even bother to put that up if there's even a chance that it's an issue. Um, and that's more a safety factor that people don't even realize that they limit the drones so much because it becomes a safety factor. If there are drones up and they need to fly in emergency personnel and things like that, they can't if you're a drone. Like it's a major safety issue for them. Um, so that side of it, I understand. And the heavy fines on that kind of stuff, I completely agree with because if you're creating a situation that you could prevent either fire service teams or search and rescue people from doing their job, yeah, find them until they cannot, or you get banned from the park is the other rule for that one. Um, but the state parks are also allowed to make their own rules and then the counties and cities are as well. So they can all have their own little permit or fine for those areas. There's nothing cohesive across the board that you don't have to go check every single park that you're in and the land that you're on before you go. Um, so to me, that's the system that needs major overhauling and for them to decide monetarily what they're charging that is actually affordable for what people can do with it like where it's at right now for most of them is just not a feasible amount of money for somebody to do uh, i I can only kind of speak to the federal side of things but you know my kind of research and reaching out and inquiring about getting permits um you know at a minimum a lot of these places wanted you know five six seven hundred dollars in permitting fees and then there's insurance requirements that you know you had to get liability insurance that was you know, $300,000 of coverage up to $5 million of coverage. Okay. So that one, I think if anybody is out there doing what I'm doing, which is the overlanding filming yourself, doing all of that, you should have anyways, I'm sorry, but my policy is $280 a year for $2 million in coverage of liability insurance on myself. Um, That's just, I do agree with that one. That, that is an affordable thing that if you yeah. have the vehicle that you're driving out there and you're paying the vehicle insurance on it, you could put liability insurance on yourself. Right. Well, and, and in and in this case, they want you to name the U.S. government as one of the insured. Yes. And, and their, their reasoning behind that is because it's really about resource protection. Yes. So if you go out there and damage resources, they want to make sure that you have the means to pay yes. for the repairs. You know, that yes. And so for that one, because obviously, like for 17 years of commercial work, anytime I go somewhere and work, I have to put that venue or that place on the policy. It takes two seconds to do. You just email it in. Um, that's not a problem. And keeping it general U.S. government on there 
does solve a problem that like the, what their claim is that they're shutting things down or limiting use on things because of that being an issue that solves some of their resource issue or making sure that things are taken care of properly issue might well, make insurance uh, rates go up a tiny bit, but still it's not that much. But that's also the line between a professional and a YouTuber. Like, I mean, YouTuber Tara, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you encounter this too. When someone says, I'm a photographer, you kind of roll your eyes internally and go, okay, cool. Cause <laughs> yeah. I do that all the time. And I'm really trying to break that habit, but like the- <laughs> Okay, well the to me then we're using you, the right? same, right. But to me, I would be using the same standards that they use for our taxes. If you make a certain amount, or under you're considered a hobbyist if you're making over and that is on your taxes then you are a professional to me that's an easy guideline for them to put in place that's fair well, yeah. i'm agreeing with you all i'm saying is if it's a commercial shoot like let's say you get picked up by nike and they want you to shoot a running shot of four girls running down the trail in the grand canyon you have a producer you have a casting director you have four assistants a pa you have a, a motorhome on the rim you have all that and that producer has the insurance along with your insurance you have five million dollars in coverage that's the difference between i showed up with my friends and shot this really cute shot and we sold it to a sock company <laughs> but that kind For of goes back, that kind of goes back to your point about how they're like there needs to be some sort of sliding scale right like mm -hmm. if you're using it there needs to be like consistency and there needs to be a sliding scale right if you're using it for your youtube channel okay fine like there's a fee that's a certain level if you're using it for a nike shoot where you've got five people and trailers and models and all this other stuff then okay nike can afford to cough up some money for our public lands yes. and there <laughs> are there are countries that have figured this out by the way i'm trying to think up the top of my head which ones i believe new zealand has a pretty good system in place um but there are countries and places that have figured this out as far as making the smaller fees for the people who are doing it as hobbyists or social media whatever influencers there's actual influencer fees where was i God, i posted it christina i think you commented on it at one point where i was somewhere and it popped up that there was an influencer fee yeah i can't remember it where death it was valley? i don't remember it's probably death valley or Hansenburg. yeah I think it, it was, was california well, it was definitely california somewhere in california but they have <laughs> i think it was death valley for influencer and to me, I'm like, hell yes, we'll pay that. It was like $15 or something. I'm like, happy to if that makes sure that things are being run properly and, you know, all well, of that. But there are some places that you're not an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty um, sure they I wanted to read something real quick, guys. Uh, this is from the National Park Service. It says federal law requires a permit for all commercial filming, no matter the size of the crew or the type of equipment. This includes individuals or small groups that don't use much equipment but generate revenue by posting footage on websites such as YouTube and TikTok. So, so here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. And there's, there's three problems I believe is what's the definition of commercial? Because I've, so I, I can answer that. From, <laughs> everything from cars to country music. I've shot for people magazine and Forbes magazine, and they have specifically said, this is advertorial. Yes. It's not advertising and it's not editorial. So what is it? So there's no definition for commercial. Yep. So that iPhone messed up all that when they started putting out billboards saying shot by iPhone. So all these lines are now blurred. There's no true definition. And now you just have mm -hmm. the parks going, there's an opportunity for $200,000. Yep. Well, that, that guidance that you just read if you go to the national park service and you ask them what the federal code is behind that guidance they're going to point you to and i'm just looking at my screen to make sure i get it right it's title 43 subtitle a part five 
And, and that, that is actually covering everything within the Department of Interior. So it's not just National Park, it's uh, BLM, and it's also Fish and Wildlife. Um, National Forest is under the Department of Agriculture, and they have very similar language. But in that federal regulation, they define commercial. And, and I, can, I can read it to you. Let me go down here and find it. It says it means the film, electronic, magnetic, digital, or other recording of a moving image by a person, business, or other entity for a market audience with the intent of generating income. And that's kind of the very vague language that they're using to, in some cases, apply to social media now, right? Because these, this legislation that this is based on um, was back to the year 2000, right? I mean, really before people were like, you could go out with your iPhone and make money with it. And so this, this definition didn't really have that in mind, right? I think they're clearly targeting movie studios, but I can understand by the letter of the law, if the intent is generating income, how you can kind of arrive at this idea that, well, if I monetize a video on YouTube, YouTube I'm, or, or, so or TikTok or... Here's the problem, Rob. We were camping together, what, a month ago? Yeah. You had time lapses going, right? Like, yeah. Pre oh, yeah. yeah. So let's say, let's say I wake up before you wake up and I shoot you setting up your camera to shoot a time lapse. And I've got your rig and it's all photographed beautifully and, it's, and you're running around and I do that and I post it on my Instagram. I'm not intending to make money. Right. I mean, you have a four-wheeler, correct? You broke up a little bit there. I didn't hear what you said, Jonathan. You have a you have a four-wheel camper, correct? I do. Yes. That's public knowledge, right? So yeah. let's say for I put it on my Instagram without the intent of making money. And four-wheel camper hits me up and is like, hey, that's a beautiful shot of our camper. Can we license that from you for a thousand dollars for the next six months? And I say, well, I was just messing around, but sure. Yeah. Am I now liable because my intent wasn't to create? Right. Well, I, I think I think that's where this topic gets really, really interesting, right? Yeah. So, and who I, decides? You know. Yeah. And, then, and if we know anything about the government, the burden of proof is now all on me to prove. <laughs> yeah. I Absolutely. Make money. It's just right. my buddy Rob, and he's cool. And I, you know, I, I probably should have mentioned this up front, but I, you know, I, I recently wrote an article for Expedition Portal that was published kind of on this topic, and it was kind of six months of research that I, I did and just kind of sharing what I learned. And, you know, at the end of that, basically, it's it depends on who you ask. You know, I mean, they're there. I talk to people at National Park, at BLM, Fish and Wildlife, National Forest, and I got several different answers depending on who I was talking to. And you know, one thing that was that they all had in common was, you know, when I kind of pushed them on the social media topic was that if I was making money from it, so if I monetized my video, that was commercial. And, and that was kind of true across all, all of them that I spoke to. Now, whether or not they require you to get a permit depends, again, on who you ask to. Some of them, you know, they're like, yeah, it's fine. You're just a guy with a camera. Even if it's commercial, we're going to allow you to film without a permit. But not all of them. Some of them want to push you through the same process you know that the movie studios go through right i mean they're giving me this form to fill out and they're like you know one of the questions is you know any stunts and i'm asking myself i'm like well i'm gonna drive <laughs> over some rocks i don't Absolutely. know is that a stunt that's or a like, stunt that? tara does that yeah yeah the answer to that is always yes Yes. which probably makes my insurance go up right <laughs> so um i think my mother you know but on me <laughs> but you know i i had other discussions with other 
permitting folks from different agencies that, you know, they were really, really strict on this topic. And, you know, when I pushed back and said, okay, well, I'm just going to take something and post it on YouTube and I'm not monetizing it. You know, do I need to get a permit? And they're saying, yes, that's commercial. And I said, but I'm not making money. And they're saying it doesn't matter. The, the part, the, if you go back to this language, the intent of generating income, it's not my intent, but it's the intent of the social media platforms that are allowing me to do it. Shouldn't they so, have to pay the fee? Well, that's what I kind of wonder. I mean, why is anybody going after YouTube or Instagram right. or any of these yeah. other companies? Those dudes' checks um, are always going to clear. <laughs> yeah. Probably because you're not a contracted employee for them. So Correct. That's what it comes down to because you have you would have to be an employee for them, which is never going to be the case. Like, there's so many, like, I've gone over this so many times because it's been such a pain in my ass for 17 years that... There are so many ways for them to address this or handle it and get the money they're looking for out of it more consistently, right? Down yeah. to, we all have our national park pass for the year, right? Why couldn't they do an addition of it that is for influence yeah. or social media well, people that they charge more? And it is just known that you are creating content and you can follow those same rules where you have to, you know, you'll get banned if you violate this, this, and this rule. That's a great idea. Really yeah. stupid things. Here's my yeah. other question is, I know when you like, Instagram, and I don't know about, I can't speak to Facebook or YouTube, but I'm just going to speak about Instagram. Instagram has, a, in their terms of her service, any photo you put on there, Instagram now owns. Uh -huh. So why couldn't I be, if I'm filming and I get fined, why couldn't I then be, if I'm creating for Instagram, why couldn't I be considered? So a, it, it's a good, that's a good question, Jonathan. And I, I actually looked, I didn't look at Instagram specifically, but I looked pretty close at YouTube in their terms of service and very clearly in their terms of service, they assume that you have the rights Correct. to post what you're posting. So ah, you know, okay. I would think in a legal situation, if you were like, well, I've, you know, I see adventures and sweet tea here, you know, they brought a very good point. YouTube yeah. shows ads on non-monetized videos. Right. So, you know, if I, if someone went to YouTube and somebody came after me and I said, well, I didn't monetize it. You, YouTube monetized it, go after them. You know, YouTube would come back and say, well, you didn't have, did you have the rights to post that? Like, this is not our problem. We said in our terms very clearly that you need to own the rights to post that. So if you were, if this was commercial in nature and you didn't get a permit, how did you, you don't have the right. Right. So, right. So, you know, maybe this is a good point to kind of talk about. So there, there is legislation that's in the works in Congress right now around this. And, and there, there's Senator Barrasso out of Wyoming back in 2021 introduced something called the Film Act. And, it, you know, its intent is basically to kind of set the rules for allowing commercial filming, no matter the media it's delivered on, including social media, in certain cases so that you don't have to go through this permitting process. Um, that never made it out of committee. It's been in committee since 2021 and 2022. And now in 2023, they rolled the Film Act into something called Aurora, which is one of these big omnibus bills um, that has a bunch of different legislation in it. But one of the things that was included was the Film Act. And, you know, as part of the negotiations of getting the Film Act into that bill, uh, they modified it a little bit. But, you know, again, this is just proposed legislation, but if this legislation makes it into law, you know, what the rules that they're outlining are basically if you are five people or less um, and you are not, you are doing the things that are, you know, within the boundaries of what an, any normal visitor to any of these public lands would do. You're not doing something out of the ordinary, right? I'm not out there like 
building ramps and jumping my vehicle or something, right? Every, you know, something that's allowed by any visitor and you're filming, you know, that would be allowed without a permit. Um, but, you know, I, 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 the, and then they, they have additional language in there where it's six to eight people in the something called a de minimis permit, which is where you would have to get a permit, but it's supposed to be a very easy and inexpensive process to go through and, you know, something that hopefully be readily available. Mm -hmm. Like maybe I can just go on a website and say, I need a permit for six people and, you know, they issue it and I pay 10 bucks or, you know, whatever it is where, you know, I think that thing makes things better than they are today. It doesn't really completely fix the issue for a couple of reasons. One is it doesn't do anything with the Wilderness Act. So anything that's deemed a wilderness area is still going to be under the same rules as under today. And there's a lot of commercial restrictions around that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's got very vague language in it. So, you know, when they talk about this five people, they have this word involves. So it says if your filming involves five people or fewer, um, and I I've I have several contacts at the ENR committee that I've been kind of talking to over the months as this has been playing out, and I actually sat you know get, or didn't sit down but I had a you know call with and talked to uh, the attorneys who helped draft this language and I asked them what involved means, and they couldn't tell me. And I said, well, how is that supposed to be interpreted? And they said, well, if this ever goes to court, if this becomes law and there's a court case, they'll refer back to the committee notes and to help them kind of decide what the word involved means. Um, and I said, well, can so, I see those? Can I see those notes? And the answer was crickets. So they <laughs> yeah. basically say if it's the difference between a film crew or like you and Avis, me and Jonathan, Tara right. well, and Alex and Jacob all go camping What does it mean? Yeah, I mean, video happens to well, include all of us in a campsite. Like, yeah, I mean, a very real scenario is we go out, you know, camping and, you know, with 10 or 15 people and, you know, maybe I get my camera out and I start filming, right? Well, I'm the only person filming, so am I the only person involved? Or, you know, is everybody that shows up on my film involved? Well, I don't know the answer to that, and they don't seem now to know I the answer to, to that. Sue you to get you out of your little box. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, while I say if this becomes law, I think it makes things better, it's still not really perfect because it's kind of vague. And so, you know, what I was hoping would happen was that we would get a lot more awareness that this is actually moving through Congress and that people that would kind of motivate people to contact the committee and say, hey, before you guys vote this out of committee, you know, potentially, you know, queuing it up to become law, why don't we try to fix this language? Let's mm -hmm. make it clear what the word involves means so that two years from now we're not, you know, someone doesn't get dinged, you know, or fined or arrested or whatever because they had six people involved and they didn't even know what involved meant. Um, that's a, I'd say that's a good point because when we have all the kids with us, there's five kids, so we're yeah. already we're already in trouble. Well, <laughs> well, may, maybe you don't know what involved means. Is it just exactly. you because you're the only one holding a camera? Have you have you figured out who you're gonna leave behind? <laughs> yeah, so like, like, don't leave anybody. <laughs> it's me. I'm staying behind you. <laughs> Smart. No, I mean these are these are really good points. And what constitutes, you know, let's let's say I go out with my husband and three kids, and while we're out, I'm filming video footage right. and taking pictures and I post some of them on Instagram, Facebook, and then I put some of the video on YouTube. I do a YouTube short and right. you know, my channel right now that I have is not monetized, but 
do I technically need a permit? Yeah. I would say to be on the safe side, yeah, because you could go from one park to another forest to something else on the same journey yeah. and maybe somebody requires well, it and maybe somebody doesn't. But then, it, you know, that brings up another question. If I'm going through three different federal lands, BLM, National Forest, and then a national park, do I get three different permits from three different entities, you know? Yeah. How does all of that work out for all these YouTubers and all these influencers and... Yeah. So B BLM is kind of a really interesting topic on this. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, when I was kind of doing my research and trying to figure this whole topic out, I had reached out to a field officer at BLM and they told me they sent me through the filming permit process. As a matter of fact, that particular, they sent me to a Hollywood, like a consultant that does movie permitting for Hollywood studios and they were like yeah go get a permitting and these are the best you know people to help you through it so i, I was kind of like this doesn't make any sense but i'm gonna have fun with this so i reached out to this this you know consulting firm that does permitting for big hollywood productions and i said hey blm told me to contact you i'm gonna show up out in this you know the blm land with my my gopro and uh, they said I, you need to help me get a permit and they laughed you know they were like yeah like <laughs> this isn't what we do um but you know, if you if you talk to a different BLM office, you might get a different answer, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, here in Utah, um, you know, in particular, I've I've had a lot of discussion here in Utah because we live here and, and talked with their you know the state leadership and um you know they're they're taking a more lax approach to it than some of these other areas where they, you know, they are like, yeah, I mean, if if you're just a guy out there with a camera, we kind of consider that casual commercial filming and, and we're fine with that. But if you call a different field office, you might get a different answer. So I spent, you know, three months talking to different, um, you know, folks at BLM from the national level to the state level and just trying to sort this issue out. And then, you know, and they knew that I was writing this article for Expedition Portal. And I asked them, I'm like, I don't, I still don't know what to say about BLM. I don't really understand. And, you know, kind of what they came back to me with was what you should say is, before you film on BLM land, you should reach out to the field office each time before you film and inquire if you need a permit. And if they tell you that you don't need a permit, you should get that in writing from them to protect yourself. And that was basically their official answer. So That's a you, really good point. Um, uh, I was doing a shoot for, it was just a content shoot for social media for Rogue Ales and Spirits during an off-road trip. And we were out in Glen Canyon NRA. So that's the BLM field office in Big Water, if I remember correctly. So I called them to ask if I needed a permit to, and I was just doing, it's literally like one camera and a couple of cell phones. And we were just getting some video for stories and reels and stuff like that for their social. And we were getting some, some photography for their social. And when I called them, they literally laughed at me. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were like, yeah, no, yeah. you're good. It's fine. Like, just leave yeah. us alone. <laughs> it, and the craziness is you well, call a different office and they're like, yeah, um, you're going to have to get a permit and you're going to have to fill out this form. And, you know, well, how many people are going to fill in your I'm like, I don't know. It's my wife and I and a few friends. And they're like, okay, well, those are actors in your film. And here's the fee that goes with oh. those. And, you know, is all of a sudden, go ahead. Is there anything we can do at a state level to write to somebody saying, hey, we need to try to standardize this like for different BLM offices? Is there something we can do? Well, th that's what the federal legislation is trying to do. So I, what I would say is, you know, 
again, this is kind of the messy part of the federal government and these omnibus bills, right? I mean, they have this Aurora Act, and I don't pretend to know everything in this bill. As a matter of fact, the Film Act is part 401 of this bill, which will tell you how big this bill is. Um, and I know there's some stuff in that bill that is not necessarily um, favorable <laughs> that you know a lot of people don't like. Um, but you know, just if you're strictly just kind of singly focused, you know, that getting into law will make things better than they are today. And, and, and at least on federal land, it doesn't do anything with state land. It doesn't do anything with, you know, wilderness areas, but it at least helps to fix some of the issues that exist today across you know, nationwide for federal lands. Well, that's good to know because we do, we try to record and take as many pictures as possible on our stewardship projects. So I would hate to somebody come back and say, oh, did you have a permit? I'm like, I'm cleaning up yeah. the trash. Well, but, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I see you pull up the BLM, uh, you know, so it, it, here, here's the thing that's really interesting about this. So if you compare this language to what is on the National Park Service website, Service. it's mm -hmm. very different language. Yeah. But the underlying law in federal code is exactly the same. See, so, the way they're, they're saying well, um, you have filming for permits, uh, include recording on public lands that include the use of actors, models, sets, and or props. Yep. And the same thing with still photography. But if you are using uh, short-term filming activities, um, are not uh, were, uh, permits not required unless it would cause appreciable damage or disturbance to the public lands, their resources or improvements, or is prohibited by closure of the lands to such activities. Right. So, so I, when I talked, this is part of the three months of discussion I had with BLM. I, I asked them this, I mean, I brought them to this page and I said, here's what your website says. And I'm being told by some film offices that if I'm filming for YouTube or some social media, I need to get a permit. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and th this is like the confusion and just frustration of all this is that it depends on who you ask. You know, when I asked them, I said, is your website language outdated? And again, it was kind of like, that's a question we don't really want to answer. <laughs> yeah, no. for sure. Adventures. Because what that, what that language to me sounded like when I first started talking to them was kind of what the National Park Service had back in 2021 after the Price v. Barr case. And, you know, that the, that the judge in that case found that, that, you know, there's a First Amendment issue, and as long as you weren't damaging resources, you had a right to go out there and film, right? And that was the ruling in that case. Now, the Park Service appealed that case under uh, uh, Price v. Garland, and, you know, that was, that was when that ruling was reversed, and they found, you know, that judge particularly called out YouTube and social media and all those sorts of things. And, you know, after that happened, National Park Service and Fish and Wildlife updated their guidance on their website to reflect that. But BLM seemed to more have the language that was more in line with the first ruling. So that was why I asked them. I was like, well, did you just not update your website? Because I see these other agencies that are also under the Department of Interior and that ruling did update their language. And again, it's... Yeah, it's, that's part of the confusion, right? What is somebody supposed supposed to do? You know, if you if you went to that website and you're filming for YouTube, you would say, "Hey, I probably don't need a permit." It looks like, but then if you call different field offices, you may be told something completely different. Yeah. True. Very true. Can I just ask, out of all of us who are creating content and shooting and everything, has anyone ever been caught fine? threatened with a fine or a ticket or anything like that? Not for... For photography? 
Not for yeah, I say not for not for photo or filming, but for like unintentional trespassing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So well, I, there, was, uh, there was a really popular account that has since sort of gone by the wayside, <laughs> and it, Jonathan and I used to be big oh, fans of it for a while, but it, be, it yeah. sort of got it got way out of control, and it was um, our public lands hate you was the name of the Instagram account. And oh, for wow. a while, it was really great in that like, it brought to light back in 2020, all of these new public land users who were doing really egregious things on public lands and like damaging resources and all this other stuff. But of course, the nature of social media, they were, and I don't, I'm still like, sketchy on what this whole doxed thing is but apparently they were like doxed beyond belief and it got to the point where like people were getting death threats and harassed in their homes and oh, like wow. it was so bad because they parked on some flowers you know what i mean and like we all make mistakes and i think that's something that we we can all agree on like i'm sure every single person on this call can say that they've made a mistake in the past and they've done something wrong in the past but the difference is like if you're sorry for it and you realize what you did wrong and you try to make changes in the future and all of those things, like there's, there's something to be said for that. Like there's something to be said for like the little mistakes that people make and they're not egregious and they're not intentional and it's not dumping a mattress somewhere on public land. It's like, I accidentally sat on a flower that maybe I shouldn't have, you know what I mean? But like- It was protected, yes. Yeah, and this <laughs> account was like, that was how to uh, adventure, was it? Adventures of Salt and Sweet Tea when they said who's enforcing rules and you just caught by getting by being reported like the bigger your account is the more likely you are going the to get blasted oh yeah social media especially if you're doing drone footage you know with all you know people will question you oh, whether yeah. or not you have a license you know all that what, what that individual did with oh, sorry. that account what that individual did was, it was during the super boom at Anza Burega. and so you had all these influencers going out and laying in the flowers with a bottle of Dove, <laughs> and or a bottle of you know this lotion, or a oh here's my the dress from Zulily or whatever, and he would be like he wouldn't call he would call up the influencer and be like hey, here's this, but also Dove, this is a protected area. Is this how you want your influencers like dealing with the public lands? And so he tried to put it back onto the company and the. To be fair, like a bunch of those companies responded and were like, hey, we don't support this. We don't know what they were thinking. We have severed ties with them, blah, blah, blah. But it turned out that that account got a lot, enough traction that, like Christina said, like people were, oh, this is Steve Smith at 123 Main Street. You should, you know, oh. And then it was like, oh, Steve also, he's sponsored by Dove, but he's also sponsored by Vicks razors. Let's get them off the razors. Now you're affecting <laughs> Steve's whole lifestyle. It's gone because His entire because income has disappeared. <laughs> and that that fooled into that mob mentality of like just out of control. And so, yeah. but that's what happens when you have no standard like fee nationwide or no standard set of rules that we all have to follow. Everybody's Oh no! Go ahead, and then you go to the next park, and they're like, "Hey, it's ten thousand dollars." Like, so yeah, like I think that's frustrating. You can call Glen Canyon NRA and ask for a permit first, and get laughed at. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
We were actually in Arches National Park two, three years ago, and there was some Instagrammer, YouTuber running, scaling these huge arches just to get his picture. And it was, it made us so livid because yeah. he was, and so that type of person, I absolutely think and hope they get caught and fined or whatever they do. So I, I, I think, I think the key, I think the key thing and what they're trying to do in the legislation is, you know, is what that person or influencer doing, you know, was that acceptable behavior by any visitor to the park? Okay. Then, then yeah, then that shouldn't be allowed. Right. Exactly. And, and that's, that's what they're trying to kind of do with this legislation. I also am the guy who, when I see the headline, Instagrammer falls off of arch and dies because he's a moron. I have no Jonathan, to your, to your question of, is anybody actually getting in trouble for this? So here's what I can say about that. So, you know, Probably the most well-known is Kara and Nate. You guys probably have all heard of them. They have a huge YouTube channel. They they did actually get, I think they were just fined in their case. Got banned too. They may have gotten banned. Yep. Um, Mr. Price, obviously, that was kind of what this whole court case has been about that caused, you know, all this flip-flop in the guidance. Um, you know, one other thing I'll, I'll say as well is, um, in my kind of passion about this, I have reached out to a lot of YouTube accounts, a lot of overlanding YouTube accounts, a lot of just outdoor YouTube accounts, trying to get people kind of spun up to talk about this, if for nothing else, to try to put pressure on the committee to clean up this language I talked about with the involved, right? Um, not a lot of people seem to be willing to talk about it, which I, yeah. I kind of get. I don't want to, I'm not going to name any names of anybody, right? I, I kind of get it. Like somebody comes to you and they're like, hey, you know, this legislation exists to kind of make it not illegal to film anymore. And, you know, would you be willing to go on your channel and talk about this? And they're like, oh, so you want me to go out and say like, hey, I may possibly be illegally filming. Um, but there's great news. There's this legislation. So I understand that, right? But kind of through those discussions, uh, there were, there was one uh, YouTube account that I talked to, and I'll, I'll keep that name to myself, uh, but they shared with me that they did actually get in trouble for this. And I was very surprised to hear that because I had not heard of anybody else, you know, yeah. personally getting in trouble for that. And, um, you know, they haven't talked about that publicly, and I don't think they plan to as far as I know, but they're kind of in a weird place now about really what to do going forward. So, you know, there, it's not common at all, Jonathan. I, I don't think this is really being enforced. I, the scary part for me is, you know, or, or anybody who's kind of doing any of this filming is, you know, if you step foot on some federal land and you film, I mean, do you have to lay in bed at night and wonder, like, what if you have some overly aggressive permit administrator who is like, you know what, I don't like that guy and I don't like that he filmed on my land and you know, I we're going to like I, I think some some <laughs> some of them do, but they, yeah. but all of these places have permitting office and permitting officials and that's their job. Yeah. Right. So. Oh, yeah. It, it I just say I, I and I'm just want to comment on this always on Liberty comment that just came in about the drone operator. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I only have experience with DJI drones and and I've always been under the experience. Uh, the impression that DJI is that, like, they're the gold standard. Like, their software, their their drones, like everything is amazing. And the drone rules are very clear. 
Like to, to operate a DJI, they kick you to, to like to, when I fly my drone, I have three different apps open. There's an air map which shows me all the areas that are off limits. Mm-hmm. There's the DJI app which shows me exactly what my drone, and then there's another app that shows me exactly like where I am, what I'm doing, what areas I'm flying over, what's prohibited, what's not, yeah. and the the rules for those areas. Yep. Um, and so I would say, speaking to that comment, like if they put dumb and they argue, I mean, they're a moron who knows they're doing something wrong and they got caught. Um, but I, I don't, I can't speak beyond that as far as drones, just because. The rules, I think, with drones are very clear. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I, I, I don't know a whole lot about the drone topic. It's just something I started looking into a few weeks ago. Just I'm thinking about maybe potentially writing about that topic, too, and trying to learn about it. But something that was interesting in the research I've been doing that came up already is that, you know, you, you know what the 107, the part 107 is, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. And people get that because there's restrictions around commercial filming. Well, what I hadn't realized is that part of the um what's the word i'm looking for justification for that they are looking back at this uh federal same federal code that defines commercial on federal lands and that's part of what goes into them saying you need your part 107 to do any kind of commercial because it's you know they're looking back at the same code which i found very interesting and it's the the part 107 distinguishes like let's say let's say i buy christina a drone for christmas she can fly that drone she can charge it up and fly it right now from the bar backyard yep she can only fly to a certain because of the guidelines she would be recreational so she can only fly what 400 meters high or four i don't know if it's feet or meters but it's there are she can't fly more than two miles away. She can't fly higher than this amount and blah, blah, blah. And the part or fly at night. And that's, yeah, yeah, or fly at night. You know, yeah. and, and the part 107, it, it's almost a, you are a pilot. You yep. are a UAV pilot. And yep. you assume those responsibilities when you get that part 107. You are a professional pilot. Doesn't matter if it's your first flight. Doesn't matter if it's your thousandth flight. You you have that part. You are a professional pilot. Yep. And you should act accordingly. And you should, you. I mean, you then have to know the rule. Yeah. So, and, and kind of going through this, a- Avis actually just got her part 107 here recently because, oh, wow. um, you know, we're, we're trying to do everything legal that we can do and, you know, <laughs> and just researching the topic. But uh, yeah, and, and, it, and it's, you know, Jonathan, I one of the things that's that's been kind of baffling to me in this whole thing is, you know, again, depending on who you talk to, if I go into some federal land, whether it's with a drone or, you know, with my iPhone or whatever it is, and I film and I just film and I take that and I show it as a home movie to my family, that's no problem. It's absolutely okay. But if I take that exact same thing that I did and I post it on YouTube or Instagram, depending on who you talk to, that may be considered commercial, even though the act was exactly the same. 100%. That's, that's the... Like you said, the ambiguity between, you know, what is the actual standard? Why can't they all have the same exact language? You know, and the intent, you know, like you said, if I'm intending to go out and film to put this, I have a monetized channel. Let's say I have 300,000 subscribers. I'm already monetized. I'm going out there with a crew of people, not a film crew, like a major thing, but, you know, just a group of people. And I'm filming to produce content for my YouTube channel. That's commercial. Uh I'm making money doing it, you know, but you know, if I have a small little channel and I'm just going out and having some fun with my family, 
and I'm right. not making money on my channel, am yep. I still technically commercial? <laughs> it, and and again, it depends on who you talk to. I, I had a, I talked to a, someone in the National Forest Service. Um, you know, I had a 70 minute phone call with them on this topic and I, because I was so like just blown away by the discussion we were having. And, you know, that, that individual, you know, their, their view of it was any, anything that you posted on social media, you know, because they make ads and they make money. So, you know, I mean, they went as far as to say during that conversation, yeah, if you, if you film and you post it on Facebook or Instagram, we don't care if you made money or not. We were well within our right to arrest you and march you down to the magistrate's office and charge you. And I was just like, so like, like yeah. that's crazy, right? Let's say, but let's, let's say you're a small timer and you film a backyard barbecue and you get a really be beautiful shot of your kid running across the yard. There's a sprinkler and there's light behind him and there's the rainbow and it's gorgeous. And your kid is wearing a Nike shirt in front of a Weber grill. Yeah. You put it on Instagram and you're like, it'd be cool to get a free grill or maybe some Nike shoes out of this. You tag Nike and you tag Weber. Guess what? Your commercial. Yeah. 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 So do what Tara said. Get your permits, get your license, your pilot's license, yeah. and follow the rules, and then you'll be yeah. safe and get your liability insurance. Yes. And I'm also an insurance agent, and it's cheaper than people may think. And coverage for everything. Good. And talk to say, Alexandria just, for insurance. We'll just throw <laughs> to up hook you up. Yeah. I'm sure you know Tara as well, but like, uh, I don't know who you go through, but Pickard is a great photo and video insurer where you can literally, like Tara said, you can email them. They'll drop the name in, email it back to you. Boom, your policy's updated. Yeah. And it yeah. works. They work with something where it's like, let's say you email them Friday at 5 and they're not in the office and your shoot is Monday at 5 a.m., it counts. Right. So, and yeah. one that a lot of people, that, again, these things that distinguish, like Jonathan was saying earlier, where people say, I'm a photographer. And it's one of the first I know that distinguishes because if anybody's been doing this for even a few years, they know what PPA is. And that's the Professional Photographers of America Association. And they do all of that. They handhold you on all of that, whether it comes mm -hmm. to copyright, insurance, all of that. The second you are a member, you have all of that at your fingertips on that website for them to basically do it for you. You just have to click a few buttons and pay it and you're covered for pretty much anything. So there's kind of, in my mind, there's no excuse other than like, there's kind of a lack of education for people going on with digital age of things, but it is very cheap. If they're already paying vehicle insurance, like there's so many ways to combine insurances on things that actually cover the issues that these parks and things are worried about. Um, but there's an extreme lack of education, even from the, the parks could explain this to people if yeah. they, as far as the necessity for that. I mean, you're required to have vehicle insurance. This isn't that much more complicated than that. Um, so it's just a lack of information and education being put out there on it. If you'd had, to, if you had to take a poll right now of all of the monetized YouTubers filming on public lands, how many do you think have the permits and, and have the insurance and all that percentage wise? It's single digits. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would say I could probably count on one hand. <laughs> I also, I also think yeah. that, I also think that is, I mean, because we all run in the same circles, right? We all know all of our circles overlap. All of our people in different companies and sponsorships overlap, and I think, I think that helps. 
but I would say like people that are just going out there and doing it. I mean, if they're in these circles, yeah, they know. But if they're just out there monetizing their own YouTube channel and they bought a Ford Transit two years ago and they live in a van, like, yeah, zero percent on those people. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I think I think a lot. They just don't even know. Again, I won't name any names, but you know, one of the first people when I was first learning about this topic and I reached out to, and I was more at that point, I was more in kind of an inquisitive, like trying to learn, like I'm, you know, about this. And I reached out to a fairly popular YouTuber and said, "Hey, I'm just learning about this. And did you know about this?" And you know, they came back and told me that no, that was all completely wrong. And um, they had actually talked about this with a bunch of other YouTubers and, you know, they decided that this whole permitting thing didn't actually exist. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting because that's not what I'm seeing. Can you kind of point me to, um, you know, what you're seeing that's leading you to believe that? And, you know, kind of through some back and forth, they ended up pointing me to something that was like not at all relevant from like the 90s. And, you know, well, if another then, YouTuber said it, it has to be true. And in the end, in the end, you know, I think they were like, oh, yeah, that's not actually the case. Like, yeah, you're right. It is, you know. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, interesting topics tonight, guys. Thank you so much for all of your input. And uh, I'll leave you with one question for consideration. What about overlanders that travel internationally? Do they need to get permits for the different government lands around in other countries? countries? <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yes. Yeah. I would assume so. So very great topic. Um, very, very, very happy that you guys joined us and gave us some yeah. wisdom on this stuff. And, you know, guys, just protect yourself out there if you're doing your thing for monetization. Yeah. That's all we want to make sure that you're doing. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, if you don't mind me saying just you know, anybody who's listening to this, please go out and read, you know, the bill, the legislation that's being proposed in Congress for this, understand it, reach out to the committee, let them know what you think about it. And, um, you know, in encourage them to clean up the language, but also, you know, hopefully pass the bill. I mean, this bill, um, it never got a vote in committee last year. So yeah. there's no guarantee that's going to happen this year. I mean, we could still be talking about this same issue. It'd be nice to at least make this issue better. And that can happen if this Aurora gets pushed yeah. out for a vote and passed. And there's, yeah, there's a ton of different yeah. legislation going on. And like we said, we talked about earlier, land closures and reorganizations of the boundaries and all kinds of things. So yeah. just pay attention. Just to, circle, just to circle back around one more time. Since the beginning yeah. of the call, I did like, sneak onto my phone and look it up to check to make sure there were no other updates, but the public comment portion of um, the hearings has closed for okay. Sand Hollow, Sand oh. Mountain, and the St. George area. So it's, it closed about seven days ago last week, and uh, we're just in a waiting pattern now to see what happens with that land down there. But that's not the only place around the country that this, this is happening. We're seeing it happen in Moab, Utah. We're seeing it happen in all sorts of places all over the West. Um, so I guess I would encourage people to stay on top of those stories and fight for your access to your public lands. And I will leave with one piece of good news in the Washita National Forest. The current legislation is going through about opening up additional overnight campsites there. So that's some good news. Yeah. They're expanding some things. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you.